You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. We have to have this debate in Congress about whether we should be in places like Afghanistan. This Taliban has changed. We've got to hold them accountable. We'll see how they govern. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. The infrastructure bill will create jobs that we desperately need in this country, good-paying jobs. We need to go all out to a green, renewable economy and all of the infrastructure to make that happen. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Live from Washington, where the president has addressed the American people about ending the war in Afghanistan 20 years later, the evolving threats against the U.S., and the role we will play in helping Americans and our Afghan allies get out of Afghanistan still, even though the military has left. Coming up, we'll talk about this historic moment with retired Air Force General David Deptula, who orchestrated air operations over Afghanistan during Operation Enduring Freedom. And we'll review the president's address you heard live on Bloomberg Radio with our politics contributors, Jeannie Sheehan-Zano and Rick Davis. And welcome to the Tuesday edition of Bloomberg Sound Off. Last night in Kabul, the United States ended 20 years of war in Afghanistan. The longest war in American history. President Biden speaking from the White House a short time ago. An address you heard live on Bloomberg Radio as he framed our withdrawal, the U.S. withdrawal, as a global change in direction for the United States military. This decision about Afghanistan is not just about Afghanistan. It's about ending an era of major military operations to remake other countries. The president saying the terror threat has metastasized to other countries and made the case that there's no advantage to the U.S. having boots on the ground any longer in Afghanistan. Joining us for his reaction and a way in on the administration's view of over the horizon, this approach to fighting terrorism is retired Air Force General David Deptula, who orchestrated, as I said, the air operations over Afghanistan in Operation Enduring Freedom, a longtime fighter pilot turned general. It's great to have you back, General. I wonder if you could start off with your thoughts as you see the last aircraft go wheels up from Kabul in that very same theater that you began the air war over so many years ago. Yeah, well, Joe, thank you very much for having me on again. Um, uh, There's so much that's going on. And in direct response to your question, I really have 
mixed emotions at two separate levels. First, um, from a strategic perspective, I'd tell you it's about time. It's about 19 years too late because we met our critical U.S. national security interests by the end of December 2001. There were really three. The removal of the Taliban from power and governance, assisting the new government protecting the Afghan people as well as our interests, and then the third one being eliminating the al-Qaeda terrorist training camps in Afghanistan. And thanks to the measured application of air power in conjunction with a light footprint of special operations forces, both partnering with the Afghan Northern Alliance, we accomplished those objectives in three short months. The trillion-dollar question is, literally, why did the U.S. not declare victory then and there? Mm -hmm. We should have said, we're out of here, see you later, have a nice life, but if you do it again, we'll be back. Instead, the U.S.-led coalition poured hundreds of thousands of ground forces into Afghanistan over the next two decades after we'd accomplished our vital security objectives. So what I'd tell you is neutering al-Qaeda and eliminating Afghanistan as an al-Qaeda sanctuary were critical U.S. security objectives, but attempting to turn Afghanistan into a modern Jeffersonian democracy was not. So when we shifted from a strategy of counterterrorism to one of counterinsurgency, we shifted from a set of strategic objectives that were vital to the U.S. to a set of objectives that were not. Now, you know, kind of wrapping up my thought here, this mission creep will not be easy to admit, but it's really necessary to recognize if we're to avoid similar outcomes in the future. And it also highlights the failure of the ground-centric nation-building via land occupation strategy that was embraced by U.S. Central Command and by a U.S. Joint Staff that was dominated by land warfare officers who didn't learn the lessons of Vietnam. So Boy. it's well past time that we abandon that failed strategy. Do four presidents um, share the blame for that mission creep, General? And what do you make of that line we just heard from President Biden? I suspect we're going to hear that again. Ending well, an era of major military operations to remake other countries. Isn't that what you're saying? Yeah, and the, uh, exactly. Um, so on that part, we agree. I, now, the, 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 my second, but, but let me directly answer your question. Um, I, I, that's true. We should not have embarked on a strategy of trying to win hearts and minds and turn Afghanistan into a democracy in our own image. Um, First, that's not the military's objective, much less the United States objective. We have critical objectives. And in that regard, he's right. We should have left after we accomplished our critical objectives. And that was back at the end of 2001. Now, you know, one can parse words, but I would tell you, you know, the war on terrorism isn't over. The president didn't end the war on terrorism. He just changed the character of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so we're going to continue to engage around the world because terrorism has the potential of being a direct U.S. national security threat. Uh, so those operations are continuing. I'm a little dismayed at hearing this, the, the newest Army euphemism for air power of over-the-horizon yeah, capability. Yeah, I want to ask That's you That's called that. air power, you know, and we're going to continue with the smart use of air power, like we saw over the past couple of days, 
using the MQ-9 Reaper drone attacks against key terrorist elements. Um, and ultimately, we're going to go back to the equation that worked so well in the opening months of Enduring Freedom. We're going to use air power in conjunction with small elements of special ops forces to control the terrorist threat threats to the United States. You used to fly fighter jets, uh, General. You have a good sense of what this over-the-horizon capability would be, this chasing terror around the world. It's going to be uh, guys like you who, who, who fly fighter jets. It's going to be people who fly drones from the other side of the world, I presume. Is this a realistic approach, however, to yeah, not having boots on the ground realistic. and intelligence on the ground? Well, Joe, listen, it's absolutely um, realistic because guess what? We've been doing this for decades now with little fanfare in other parts of the world. And what's ended is continuous U.S. ground force presence. Uh, And I mentioned right up front, that was long overdue. Um, So, yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, feasible, uh, and we do it. I mean, and this is one of the advantages of air power. Um, you know, long-range aircraft like uh, bombers that can sustain operations for hours at thousands of miles away from their launching location uh, to engage with precision and lethality. Um, You mentioned folks on the ground. Well, they are useful for providing intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, but so are overhead assets. I like to remind folks when they bring up this subject um, you know, I was the planner for the, the entire 43 days of Operation Desert Storm. We didn't have one boot on the ground in Iraq, uh, and we accomplished our objectives in 43 days without any U.S. boots on the ground uh, providing information. So that was our last major regional conflict, uh, and uh, we didn't have a lot of direct information flowing out of uh, that uh, 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 combat zone. I am reminded of President George H.W. Bush at the time, criticized heavily for not plowing all the way into Baghdad, for not taking out Saddam Hussein. Is the lesson from that, of course we went back into Iraq, but is the lesson from this engagement, I think to your initial point, that we simply stayed too long? Should we have done the same in Afghanistan? Yeah, no, we should have left. Um, look, a lot of people go, okay, look, you're you're using hindsight uh, from 20 years later. In, in perhaps, yeah, in late uh, 2001, early 2002, it may have been too soon to recognize that we'd accomplished our objectives. Um, but not six months later, uh, you know, by the end of 2002, it should have become quite clear. But the problem, Joe, is we have some dogmatic principles that have been established in our Department of Defense. We accomplished these objectives so quick in Afghanistan in late 2001 that Central Command hadn't even completed the deployment planning of the troops that they presumed were required to go in and occupy the country in order to accomplish our objectives. So they just kept on deploying them. And then when they got there, they looked around and said, well, now what do we do? And and that's where they adopted this new mission of winning hearts and minds. And and that's the mission creep that we embarked upon. uh, And unfortunately, it was supported 
by uh, military leaders in the Pentagon and four presidents for two decades. So the lesson there is define critical U.S. interests, figure out how to accomplish them, and whether they're accomplished, leave. Okay, and 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 I tell you, this mission creep in moving from those critical objectives of U.S. security interest into trying to build a democracy uh, amongst a group of six-century tribes who have lived this way for centuries uh, was was unobtainium. Insights from someone who has been there, retired Air Force General David Deptula, former director of the Combined Air Operations Center for Operation Enduring Freedom. We do thank you for coming back to talk to us again today on Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. It's the last day of August. The deadline for the American military to leave Afghanistan, which it has done leaving the commander-in-chief today to tell the American people why. It was time to be honest with the American people again. We no longer had a clear purpose in an open-ended mission in Afghanistan. After 20 years of war in Afghanistan, I refused to send another generation of America's sons and daughters to fight a war that should have ended long ago. I want to hear from the panel on this. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan-Zeno and Rick Davis Back with us, it has been a full day of analysis from you two, and I thank you for it. So let's take our last swing here this hour. We've talked about the strategies and the political liabilities for this White House. I want to ask you both about the speech. Jeannie, you were very skeptical going into this address. How did he do? My impression uh, was he reminded me something of a litigator who was going after each point of criticism and batting it back. And I think in doing that, he did make some important points. Um, It was the most comprehensive. I think we've heard him in his remarks defending his decisions here. But he also faced some challenges. And just to give you one example, is this criticism of tr- of the Trump administration um, and this deal they struck and saying that that had sort of hemmed the administration, the Biden administration in to either having to stay and increase the number of troops or to leave. Well, those aren't the only two options there. And that's something that we've talked a lot about. So mm-hmm. I think he did, you know, try as hard as possible to defend what he was doing. But I think in doing that, he was not able to address the damage that has been left as a result of that. And I would also say, and this is something that I was surprised about, he was once again not nearly as empathetic to the frustration amongst the military, the Afghanis, allies and others who feel that they were wronged by what has happened over there. Not that it's Joe Biden's fault specifically, but the United States going in in the first place and all of the, that's happened in the last few decades. So that those were a few of my takeaways. A lot of the uh, questions, Rick Davis, about the president's tone today, uh, very different posture and very different tone, different body language than we saw and heard in his address to the nation last week. In fact, it came up today at the briefing. Here's how it went with Press Secretary Jen Psaki. A few of us observed he seemed angry at the beginning of the speech today. Uh, who's he mad at? I would say I'll 
I'll give you a different assessment of what I saw, uh, which is that he gave a forceful assessment, uh, laid out a forceful case to the American people as to why it was time to wind down a 20-year war. And O'Keefe asking, who's he mad at, Rick Davis? Is that a problem when that's the question coming out of a speech like that? And did you see it that way? Yeah, I think I'm glad you raised this, Joe, because I think the the overriding message that people got was that he was angry. Uh, the tone on these kinds of speeches matter incredibly high uh, in importance. And, 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 and whether you call it emphatic or angry, I mean, it was a driving tone. He was, he was defensive in his posture. As Jeannie said, he tried to defend virtually every action he took along the last 17 days, uh, almost as if the uh, critics were in his ear while he was giving this speech. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to stomach because this this entire episode has been on his watch. Um, you know, it was it was a month ago that we pulled out of Bagram. Uh, I mean, it, you could see the buildup of a calamity. And and, and yes, um, he was right to point out the heroism of our military who went in there with our civilians and 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 dug out uh, as best they could a historic um, uh, abandonment of that of that country and pulling our people out and and his commitment to ensure that those who are left behind will 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 have a high priority in in, in getting out if they want to get out. So he touched on a few of the things that are I think really political problems for him because you know when you look at the polling data you know when the one thing everyone agreed on Democrats Independents and Republicans alike by over eighty percent was that. We had to stay until we got everybody out. And that's the one thing that he's going to, I think, from a political perspective, be nagged by. Because in essence, he said the deadline was more important than the function. And that's where our interests and our values separate. It's the stuff of political ads, negative political ads, Jeannie. But I have to ask you, because we're all family here now, right? You're the Democrat on this panel, Jeannie. Can you say that Joe Biden has done anything right in this very painful process over the past two weeks? I do think that he has a valid argument to make, more than valid argument to make. Rick was just talking about the polls. Most Americans see, and he said this today, that we maybe should not be in these, what have been described, I don't think accurately, as endless wars. And there is a strong argument to be made that we have challenges. And I think one of the things Biden wanted to do today was sort of to lay out this Biden view of doctrine, if you will, of foreign policy. He wants to get to this bigger argument that he wants to make, which is that we are in the fight of our lives between democracy and totalitarianism, and we have to play the game in 2021 far differently than we played it 20 years ago. I think that's a valid argument to make. He does have some good, important things to say, but the execution is something you can't describe as extraordinary. Understood. If we had left earlier, that's the other criticism that President Biden has been hearing, specifically about the withdrawal. Why didn't we start getting Americans and our Afghan allies out months earlier? Imagine if we'd begun evacuations in June or July bringing in thousands of American troops and evacuating more than 120,000 people in the middle of a civil war. There still would have been a rush to the airport, a breakdown in confidence and control of the government, and it still would have been very difficult and dangerous mission. The bottom line is, 
There is no evacuation, evacuation from the end of a war that you can run without the kinds of complexities, challenges, and threats we faced. None. President Biden did not take questions following the address. As I read on the terminal, Republicans have said that the president should have extended the deadline, the August 31 deadline, to withdraw until every American was removed from the country. To be clear, about 200 Americans are still there, according to the State Department. 200 Americans, many of whom, as they say, did not want to go home. But to be clear, they had reasons like family. Many were dual citizens. Many are dual citizens. Many had family they wanted to get out of the country but couldn't put them all on the planes, couldn't take them all to the airport in Kabul. And so, no, they didn't want to leave their families behind. They stayed. I think we've reconnected with Tony Capaccio, Bloomberg Pentagon correspondent. Tony, I'll go back to where we started here. Is it fair to frame this as a simple choice between leaving and escalating? Is that what this came down to? The tens of thousands he was talking about was just an exaggeration, Joe. We had 3,500 troops there. We had like 8,000 there last year. I don't think that was the case. He could have made the case that we needed to keep 4,500 troops there indefinitely, like we have had in Korea and Germany and other places for decades, in order to prevent a a calamitous collapse of that regime. He chose not to do that, and one could understand it, but I don't think it was a choice between pulling out and bringing in tens of thousands. Is it true then as well what he said? I don't know if you heard that line, Tony, that if we had started earlier, the same thing would have happened, that there still would have been the chaos in dealing with evacuating thousands of people in the midst of what he called a civil war. The, the chaos could happen because the Taliban blitzkrieged through Afghanistan and into Kabul faster than anybody had anticipated. Our billions of dollars of intelligence apparatus didn't predict that. That's what precipitated it. It probably would have happened in April or May or June or July. Yeah, I, there would have been some chaos. And because the Taliban was on the run, I was on the march. They owned the country. Once the United States started pulling out and they were into the capital, just people swarmed into the airfields, uh, swarmed into the airport there. Yeah. I want to ask you about over the horizon. We've certainly gotten mm-hmm. used to this phrase over the past couple of days. I asked right. General David Deptula about it at the beginning of the hour. The point he made is this is nothing new. We've been doing this for years, actually, and we know it works. Is that right? Yeah, it works to a degree. Now, they've had some great success killing individuals like Jihad John. Remember him? They killed him in a drone strike while he was moving in the car. Yeah. They killed General Soleimani after they watched him for quite a number of minutes leaving Baghdad International. So there have been successes, but it needs an exquisite amount of intelligence. It usually needs men on the ground, people on the ground giving you some information. But it seems like in this case over the last few days, our intelligence community was able to help basically target the drones. And we do have the capability, but it's iffy. Ten or 12 civilians may have been killed in this last drone strike a couple days ago. That's the collateral damage of over the horizon. Mm -hmm. 
Well, apparently we are going to be practicing this quite a bit going forward here. And Tony, I want to thank you for your reporting over the past couple of days and being with us on Bloomberg Sound On, our Pentagon correspondent, Tony Capaccio. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing entrepreneurial advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The second day lead, as we call it in the news business, President Biden's bookend to what happened yesterday in Afghanistan, the final troops leaving with an image of Major General Chris Donahue climbing on to the last C-17 out of Kabul. Justin Sink, White House correspondent for Bloomberg, writes on the terminal, President Biden declared an end to two decades of U.S. military operations in Afghanistan offering an impassioned defense of his withdrawal and rejecting criticism that it was mishandled. President Biden making the point that this is not the same world we were living in on 9-11. It was time to end this war. This is a new world. The terror threat has metastasized across the world well beyond Afghanistan. We face threats from al-Shabaab in Somalia, Al-Qaeda affiliates in Syria and the Arabian Peninsula, and ISIS attempting to create a caliphate in Syria and Iraq and establishing affiliates across Africa and Asia. We bring back the panel. Rick and Jeannie are with us. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, and Rick Davis. Rick, does that world that the president described require boots on the ground anywhere, or we're just going to fly around the globe and take care of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought he was making a case for keeping troops in Afghanistan. I mean, like, nowhere have we seen more activity uh, of late that w- in, uh, in with terrorist organizations than what's happened in the last week in, in Afghanistan. So, I mean, he described places like Syria and the ISIS uh, terrorists there, but we have troops in Iraq uh, yeah. to help protect that country from exactly that threat. So, I mean, I, I think the case he laid out was actually a case— to stay in places like Afghanistan to ensure that we have the intelligence and that we have the capacity to strike. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought his whole speech was full of these binary choices that he set up that actually, as as Tony mentioned in the last interview from the Defense Department, mm-hmm. actually don't represent reality. How do you operate in that new world, the president described, Jeannie, or, or is it new? Well, what they're saying they're going to do is the the we are going to shift and we are going to be defending ourselves from terrorism with this over the horizon methodology that you've been talking about. The problem for the Biden administration is the same one the Obama administration got into. You know, 
and and Tony just mentioned this, potentially 10 to 12 civilians hit. Very hard to do that kind of work without boots and intelligence on the ground. So what's really happened is we have shifted this to back to the intelligence, the CIA, where it was right after 9-11 before the military went in. And so, so much of our capacity is going to be focused on that. And the question about how good our intelligence is, is a real challenge. And, you know, the president also made the case we went in there to ensure that we couldn't be attacked again from Afghanistan. But there is a case to be made that we are more vulnerable now as terrorism, you know, rears its ugly head, as Rick was just talking about, we've seen it in the last couple of weeks, that we could potentially be more vulnerable. And if something happens, do we get dragged back in there or do we just start attacking this country that we've left after 20 years with drones? It's a very, very tough decision for any president. And it's going to be that. Hopefully it's not. But if it happens, it's going to be that for the Biden administration. Republican leadership in the House held a news conference today. Uh, Rick and Jeannie, we know that Kevin McCarthy uh, is a huge critic of President Biden and a huge critic of what's gone on here. He was urging Nancy Pelosi to call members back to vote on a Republican-sponsored bill that would require the military to stay until all Americans were out. We heard as well today, though, from Michael McCall, the House Foreign Affairs Committee ranking member, who referred to our unconditional surrender. I never thought I would see this in my life. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. It's wrong to our veterans who served so well. A statement by his office says that more than 500 journalists and their families who were employed by the U.S. Agency for Global Media were abandoned by the State Department in Afghanistan. Unconditional surrender, Rick Davis. Is that fair? Yeah, and I think that uh, it would have been interesting if he'd actually included the guy who signed the surrender, uh, Donald Trump, with the Taliban when he cut a deal uh, that really was the beginning of the end of this uh, this war in Afghanistan. And and so uh, I don't know. I mean, I think it was a lot of politics. Uh, there's no question that um, you know we've we've turned tail and run from a country that we had enormous investment in. And uh, and, and so uh, I think you got to see through the fog of politics now creeping into what has been a very important public policy debate. And and I, I would have been I would have felt better if he would have actually said that our values were the guiding principle for why we needed to be in Afghanistan and not had politicized it so much. A little peek into the hearings we might be seeing. I'm, I'm guessing here with the comments from McCarthy and McCall and others, including Mike Gallagher, who wrote the bill they were talking about here, uh, Jeannie, do you think that he'd be saying that if Donald Trump had pulled out our forces? No, I, I don't. And that's part of the problem. I, I'm looking right now at a press relief release from a call in, in 2020, February 2020, in which he's applauding and praising Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo for reaching an, an agreement with the Taliban. And to Rick's point, you know, we don't get where we are today if they had not been negotiating with the Taliban. Now, that is not to say that Trump owns this any more than Biden does. I mean, the mistakes of this war go back right to the very beginning. And, and you know, the lessons learned report is a is a fascinating place to look at some of that 
including something you just talked about with the general that you had on earlier. Not only didn't we have clear strategy and objectives, we didn't understand and still don't Afghanistan. And those are the kinds of lessons that we have to learn. So, you know, when I hear McCall and others, um, I too, like Rick, wish they would be more intellectually honest on both sides of this. It is no more a Biden problem than it is a Trump problem or a Bush problem, quite frankly, an American problem as we have gotten ourselves engaged in areas and places and people that we don't understand. Isn't this exactly why people don't like or at least misunderstand Washington, Rick? Yeah, I think this is one of the reasons why tonight when people are watching the evening news and they see these kinds of reports, you know, they flick around to the Weather Channel to see what's going on with Ida. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, these are the these are the moments where we should rise above political partisanship and look at what's best for our country. And yet, time and time again, uh, everyone's trying to score political points on the heels of the president's speech today. Uh, sure, there should be congressional investigations into what went wrong. We should learn something from this. Uh, there's a lot to be un understood and, and reflect upon, including uh, what the uh, Joe Biden's administration agreed to do already back in March, which was to reevaluate our entire strategy around uh, the use of drones and commandos in combating terror, uh, something he criticized the Trump administration for doing. But now we hear today is everybody's hot new topic um, uh, over the horizon. So um, I think we, we need to learn those lessons so that we don't make the mistakes of the past. You talk about uh, invoking our values. One thing he did invoke was the cost of the war. After more than $2 trillion spent in Afghanistan, costs that researchers at Brown University estimated would be over $300 million a day for 20 years in Afghanistan, for two decades. Yes, the American people should hear this, $300 million a day for two decades. It's a shocking number, Jeannie, but too soon? It is a shocking number, and yet I think back as we look back at other uh, areas that we've gone into, the Iraq War and others, a lot of times those sort of top line numbers don't take into account the fact that we then send our people in, our businesses and corporations, and we get money back that we have spent. We rebuild infrastructure in these places. We trade. We do other things. So, you know, I think we have to be very careful to look, as you said, too soon at a top line number like that yeah. and not see what we've actually gotten back in as an American economy in return. And, and that includes trading arms and other things. So I, I, I think he's trying to defend an, himself and sure. why he thinks we need to get out. But I'm not sure that that number is, uh, you know, intellectually honest if you look deeper into those numbers when we have a chance to do that. Even if it's half that, though, Rick, is, is, should money be part of the, the rationale when we're talking about life and death? No, and this is this is what John McCain used to say all the time. You know, our national interests are our values and our values are our national interests. Can you really put a price tag on all the women and girls who weren't slaughtered by the Taliban once we took them out of power? Can we put a price tag on all the countries that didn't have to deal with Al Qaeda terrorism when we dismantled its network? Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but I mean, I think. The one thing that we have always done as a country is that we have gone in to uh, free people, to create liberty, to create opportunity without a payback. 
and, and we did it because it was the right thing to do because our values demanded us to do it. And somehow all of that has been lost in the discussion that we're having today. Great day with both of you. I thank you both for your insights. Jeannie Sheehan, Zeno, Rick Davis with us for Hours Upon Hours. And we're going to be back tomorrow for more. But what's the third day lead? Is it infrastructure? Are we back to the hurricane in Louisiana? We'll find out together tomorrow. Join me and Anne-Marie Hordern on Balance of Power starting 12 noon on Bloomberg TV and radio. We'll do this all over again. Bloomberg Sound on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.